Come on, church, we could do better than that. Let's worship Jesus. He's so good. He deserves our praise. Father, this morning, before we start anything else, Lord, we say that those truths are not things we sing. They are truly things we believe. In fact, we sing them because we believe them. And Father, so many times in our hearts, we need to lead ourselves into truth. There are times where maybe your faithfulness is something we we question, but we know the truth that you are a God who's forever faithful. There are times, Lord, where, where we question whether you are even there, if your presence is there. But Lord, we know that it's not our feelings that dictate the truth. It's your word that determines truth. And your word has never returned void. You are not a man. You are not a liar. Your plans don't sway and shift. You remain the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So Father, I pray that this morning our hearts would be fixed on you. In the same way you said that in this world we will have troubles, that the waters would rise and that the winds will blow, but anyone who builds their house upon Jesus, their house will stay firm. The house of our faith is rooted in Jesus. It's not rooted on our situations. It's not rooted on the economy. It's not rooted in what's happening in culture. It's fixated on Jesus, our strong foundation. Lord, you are everything. And Father, in those areas where maybe we've allowed you to lose a little bit of your radiance, Father, I pray that we would set you in the place that you belong, on the throne of our lives. Friends, this morning, God kind of just gave me a word. And the word was this, is Jesus in the peripheral of your life or is he at the focal point? Is Jesus just someone you walk past on a weekly basis or is he the focal point of your entire existence? Is he someone that we oftentimes just check in with? maybe on a a daily basis, or is he the reason why I wake up in the morning? And the church that he's looking for, the pure bride that he desires to, to receive is a church that says, Jesus, you are everything. Every decision is met with the checklist of what does Jesus think about this? Every word that comes out of my mouth, the Bible says, don't, don't allow a idle word to come out of your mouth. That means every word I communicate, where does it line up with with Jesus? Every thought, every action. And if you're like me, you're looking at that and you're just like, Lord, how do I measure up? And here it is. It's not your strength or in your ability or in your power or in your might or in your will to act self-discipline. God causes us and leads us to lead lead lives of righteousness. So today, if you look at that, you're like, Pastor, I don't know how I can work my way to make Jesus the focal point of my, my life. Here's the good news. You never will. You need the grace of God to do the work of God. 
This morning, we need God's grace. It's not just a one-time offer where it's like, Lord, I'm coming to an altar, I'm giving you my life, and now it's up to me. No, the Lord continues to empower us with His Holy Spirit to do in the things that please Him. So this morning, if you're looking at your life and you're taking inventory, and you're just like, Pastor, I'm falling short. Let me remind you, we got an advocate with the Father. That when we confess our sins, He is faithful to deliver and to save. He is faithful to forgive. So in this place, we're not raising our hands as those who are perfect and without fault. We are, we are saying, Lord, we need you. We are imperfect. We have failed and we will likely fail again. But that doesn't mean we make excuse for our failure. That means we want, run to the one who makes all things right. The one who renews. The one who restores. The one who takes the, heart, the hardened heart and softens it before his Holy Spirit. So God, we need you this morning. We humble ourselves now, admitting our faults, admitting our insecurities, admitting our worries, and going to the source of our righteousness, Jesus Christ. In fact, friends, I want to read to you really quickly before we transition what Paul says to his protege, Timothy, a younger pastor in the faith. Timothy led, was led to the Lord by Paul. Now Paul is writing to him from prison, encouraging him to be the the Christian, the pastor, the leader, the man, the father that God called him to be. And and here's what he says. Just kind of humbles Timothy in a second. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, meaning you you can put all your bets on this saying. You can believe in this saying. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I love Paul because when you hear that you can oftentimes assume a a posture of like yeah look at all those sinners but look look what Paul says to this he adds a little like like, like an addendum to the statement he says of who I am the worst Maybe your translation says of who I am, chief, chief of sinners. He's not glorifying or, or relishing in the fact that he's a sinner. He's saying, listen, the reality is, is, that, is that I'm the most fallen. And he goes, in other passages, he's talking about the things that he did before he knew Christ. He says this, of who I am the worst, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Man, Jesus is patient. In fact, the proof of his patience is the fact that you're in here this morning. He is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. I had meetings with a couple of friends this past week, a couple of pastors, and one of the words that came out of one of my friends who I've known for so many years, he just came to me and said, Steve, I feel like I've wasted the last couple of years. And I said, friend, what what, what do you mean? You're an incredible leader. You're a great orator. You're an incredible uh, expositor of God's word. What do do you mean? He's like, I I feel like I haven't been discipling. I haven't been making disciples. I feel like I've I've been leading the church, but I haven't been making disciples. And and I I looked at him and I I instantly, you know, when you have those moments where God just gives you that word, I I looked at him and I said, friend, I, I want you, I want to remind you that maybe God is revealing this to you but what you do with this truth what you do with this truth will determine 
whether you're going to glorify God or, or not glorify God. He's like, what do you mean? I said this. If you walk out of here feeling shame and guilt, it is not of the Lord. I said, listen, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. That's what the word tells us, that the enemy accuses us. Jesus convicts for a purpose. And what is that purpose? For our refinement, for our improvement, for our focal, our focus to be, to be more on him. But the enemy, he brings shame and accuses so that our eyes and our attention look back on us. The Holy Spirit does it so we look at him. So I said, friend, walk out of here. Convicted, perhaps, but not condemned. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So this morning, friends, if, if you've had a week, have you ever had one of those just a week where you're just like, Jesus, I am not your favorite. Maybe I was last week when my performance was better, but this week I'm, I'm not. Can I, can I just tell you, friends, Jesus' approval of you, God's approval of you is not dependent on your ability to perform. It's entirely placed on Christ's faithfulness to endure the cross. Again, that doesn't make excuse for our sins. We're not saying, okay, now we have all this liberty to sin. No, no, we're not saying that. We're saying this, let's turn to Jesus. So before we do anything else, can we all get on the same plane? P-L-A-N-E, no, P-L-A-I-N, I don't know, one of those. We're not hopping onto a plane, but we're on the same on the same level. Let's get on the same level for a moment and let's just lift up our hands as imperfect individuals saved by grace. And let's just make that confession. Jesus, we need you. You're our Savior. You're our everything. Today, we come to you, Lord, as individuals in need of your mercy, in need of your grace. Lord, there is no hierarchy in this place. There aren't some better than others some closer than others but 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 the fact is that you desire for all of us to come to you so we're doing just that lord forgive us for the times when we compare ourselves one to another as opposed to comparing ourselves to you to perfection to holiness god i pray today that we would be empowered by your holy spirit to serve you deeper and greater to love you more to love our brothers and sisters in tangible ways help us god not to be perfect in our own strength, but to rely on the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. We need you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Come on, if you're thankful for Jesus, praise him this morning. He's so good. Friends, you may be seated. We're going to go ahead and prepare for our morning tithes and offering. Man, I woke up this morning. I don't know if it's because it's October Second, right? Is that I forgot my Apple, my watch this morning. October second. It's the it's officially fall. Welcome to fall. Pumpkin spice lattes and I don't know basic white girl stuff all over the place. Okay, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's not that's not racist, by the way. It's it's a meme. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's fall. We're so excited for fall. I'm gonna invite the ushers. We're gonna take our offering. We do this every single week. We we're a church that believes in the Bible. Uh, man, we. We believe in a faithful reading of the Word of God, and uh, when we look to the Word of God, when it talks about finances, when it talks about resources, there's a lot to say, 
And we, we bring this up every single week. God cares about how we think about and how we handle our finances. And we want to be good stewards. So let me just pray over this. And let me believe for God to bless us, to continue doing the work uh, man, that he desires to do in us and through us at Zaic Church. Father, thank you so much for our church. Thank you so much for every faithful individual and every member of this body. Everybody who calls this place home. Lord, thank you that you desire to build in us a house of refuge for people who are hurting, people who are in need of help, and for people who, who want somewhere to worship freely. And God, thank you that we can meet that need. Thank you that as we look back at the history of, of what our church has accomplished, that in just a few short years, we will be able to celebrate 100 years of faithful ministry. God, that is because of your faithfulness. You were the constant in every single one of those years. And we pray, Lord, as we take this offering, that your Holy Spirit would continue to be that constant. Take what we are bringing in, Lord, and multiply it for your purposes. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, as those offering buckets are going around, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things. So we are in our community group season, and I've already been hearing some phenomenal, phenomenal uh, feedback from, from all the things God has been doing so far. We, uh, I met with you know the, the, one of the ladies' groups in our church, and, and I asked them, I was like, or I asked her, I said, How, how's your group going? She's like, Pastor, we had 17 ladies, and there were some people missing. So that group is growing. God is bringing growth to our, our, our community groups there. I know our soccer team is growing and thriving. We, in fact, last week we played one of our best games ever, and it was it was pretty awesome. Uh, I, I know we have a couple groups launching this this week, like this very week on Wednesdays. Every Wednesday in October, we're inviting everybody to to join us here at Harrison Park. Just a couple of uh, just couple blocks down the road from here. Uh, we are just going to have some just some park days, getting the last couple of. Uh, the last couple nice days in, in this fall weather. So every Wednesday in October from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, we will be meeting at Harrison Park. On Thursdays, there is a men's golf season that is starting off. If you're not a golfer, maybe you haven't golfed in a long time, and you just want to come out and hang out, you're more than welcome to come. So we are going to be doing something. We're going to see how it works. Our first time ever piloting something like this. So every Thursday, so for four weeks, we are going to meet at 4 o'clock at Sierra Hills Golf Course, just south of the church, only about nine minutes away from here, less than 10 minutes away. Uh, we are going to try to make this as cheap as possible. We were able to work out a fixed rate with Sierra Hills. I went in there and I said, hey, what can we do? Uh, they said, hey, listen, we can do it for $11 a golfer. So $11 green fees. If you want to come out and maybe you're just like, hey, pastor, I get out of work late or, or I can't get there till like 4.30 or 5. Listen, I, I already think it, it's, it's worth it. If you miss a couple of holes, just to show up and to hang out with some guys. So uh, come on out to that. If you wouldn't mind, you can go to zaic.church forward slash groups to sign up for that. I'd love to see you there. And you know, you're probably going to beat me at golf, so you can have that, that bragging right. Lastly, this is also for the guys. We have, starting on this Saturday, uh, October 8th, we will be having a men's breakfast. So uh, all we are asking is for you to come in and just, just throw a little bit towards the breakfast. We're asking $5 as a suggested donation, but $5. We're starting breakfast at 9 a.m., and we're going to have a time of just uh, Bible you know, Bible reading, some prayer. Uh, we're going to have, there's going to be bacon, so come out to that. And uh, it's going to be a great time. I'm actually going to bring my griddle. I think, man, I love this thing. Anybody Anybody else? Big fan of griddles. I'm a 
man, am I the only Okay, my father-in-law, we got it one. Yeah, we've been loving that bad boy. So it's going to be a great, a great time. It's going to be an awesome time. So guys, I'm super excited. Make sure you're marking down these dates. Even right, right now, everybody just go ahead and pull out all the guys in the church, because I love the men of our church. Pull out your phone and go ahead and snap a picture of this right now. And I'm going to shoot you a text this week, and I'm going to ask you, hey, you coming? Because we need to all be a part of this. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you really quickly. I'm, I'm just going to share this with you right now, kind of show you how the sausage is made, the, the kind of the, the background of everything that's happening. Listen, I, I believe this. We don't do anything aimlessly in the church. We don't look at the calendar and say, how can we ask people who are already busy to put more things on their schedule? That's not how we operate at this church. We're not just trying to fill your time with events to try to keep you entertained. Uh, listen, here, here's the truth of it all. I believe this. Earlier in the year, God said, who do you have to become? What do you have to do to see God transform 500 lives by the time you turn 100? And that was a big, big ask. Like, that was a huge thing. And I, and I started looking at all the things we were doing as a church, and I, and I truly felt the Lord say this. Our church will grow to the capacity of the men in our church. And that's nothing to say anything of the ladies at all. That's simply to say this, God has designed men to be the leaders, the spiritual leaders of their home. And as a father and as a husband myself, I am taking that serious. And I know this, I am a better dad, I am a better husband, I am a better father, I am a better leader when I am with like-minded men moving towards Jesus. So the reason why we're doing this, guys, is not just to have some events and have you to come out. It's because, listen, God desires to grow to grow his church, to see those who are bound by sin set free and delivered. He wants to see those who are lost found in Jesus. He wants to see people saved and set free. And that happens when men and women take their place in the church and say, Jesus, here I am, send me. So if you are even thinking about joining this, can I just give you that final push as your pastor and friend to say, join us join us. Amen? Amen. Let's watch this video before we hop into the Word. Welcome to Zaic Church. We exist to help all people belong to Jesus, transforming them into God's beautiful mosaic masterpiece. Thank you for joining us. We're so glad you chose to join us today. If you're new, we'd love to connect with you. You can fill out our online form at zaic.church connect or located in the seat back pocket in front of you, you can find this connect card you can fill out. And we'd love to connect with you after service. Find out your name, where you're from, how you ended up here today. We've got our connect center located in the back of the sanctuary. We also have a gift for you, this awesome Zaic Church cup, some candy and some other information to tell you about Zaic Church. Here at Zaic Church, our mission and vision is accelerated by our generosity. And we'd love for you to partner with us as we worship God and pursue His vision. If you'd like to give, you can do so in one of three ways. To give online, you can go to zaic.church give, or you can text the word tithe to 44321. Or if you would like to give in person, you can find an envelope in the seat back pocket in front of you, and you can drop it in at offering or after service. At Zaic Church, we love living life together with community. If you're interested in one of our groups, you can find out more information at zaic.church groups, or you can find one of our leaders here at this church. They would love to point you and connect with you to one of our group leaders. 
If you're new and would like to know more about the next steps at our church, we'd love for you to sign up for our next growth track. In growth track, we will walk you through the values of our church and what we believe so we can come alongside you as you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you'd like to know more about growth track, you can go to zaic.church slash growth track. Morning, everybody. Glad you're here at church this morning. Hey, so we are in week two of this series that we started last week called The Creed. And uh, I actually embarrassed myself last week. I actually sang from a, a band known as Creed. And, and I got some messages on Facebook like, wow, Pastor, you, you did pretty good. And I was like, I, was, I wasn't trying to be pretty good, but thanks, right? So we're in this series called The Creed. And we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. We're talking about this, this, this uh, man, this message or this uh, prayer or this list of, of statements, these truths that the church has been proclaiming for thousands of years. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But last week, we emphasized that everybody comes to this idea, the concept of, of, of a creed from different vantage points. Some of us were raised in what we discovered last week to be or be called higher church structures where it was very liturgical and you repeat it after the person person who is leading the congregation and you you may be you may identify with this and depending on just how you grew up you're like oh this is great or maybe I've never heard of this or this sounds and feels kind of just rigorous and, and not and not you know for, for me but let, let me just tell you this that the creed is actually very safe so let, let's start again what, what is the creed the creed is not the creed is not equal with scripture we believe and the, the totality of Christianity believes that the Word of God is the inerrant truth of God, that it is authoritative, that, that when we look to Scripture, it's not the same as if we were going to consult one of our favorite fictional stories and that we can apply truth equally from, from both the Bible and, let's say, some other type of, of manual. No, we believe this, that the Bible is first and foremost God's Word, it is God's word. So when we're talking about creeds, we are not saying that the creed is on equal footing with the Bible at all. Let me say that again. We are not saying that the creed, or any creed for that matter, is on equal footing with the scriptures. If anything, we used this illustration last week where we said it's similar to the sun and the moon. We look at the moon. We love the moon. It looks gorgeous every night. But really, all the moon does, it's not exuding its own light. It's not showing its own radiance, its own brilliance. All it is doing is it's reflecting the brilliance, the radiance of the sun. So the creed is very similar to that dynamic. It has no radiance in and of itself. It has no self-brilliance. All it does is it reflects the truth of God as revealed in the Word of God. We get it? We're on the same footing there? So the scripture, the creeds rather, it's not equal with scripture. In fact, we confess this, we say this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. It tells us that all scripture is God 
breathe. You may be familiar with this passage. Literally, breathed out by God. Theo noestos. Literally, breathed out by God and is useful for four things specifically Paul brings up. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That word teaching is literally where we get the word doctrine. Has anyone ever heard the word doctrine before? Show of hands, who's heard the word doctrine? This is literally, uh, so, so there's two types of doctrine, or I guess if we wanted to, to break it up, there's, there's doctrine, and then there's false doctrine, right? Like there, there is just doctrine, just teaching, and then there's false teaching. Paul is saying this, Scripture is profitable or useful for teaching doctrine, for rebuking. There are some times where we are uh, maybe choosing to teach something that is contrary to the Word of God, right? Uh, I would say that's probably the, the vast minority of situations here, but I would say the majority of times when we are wrong, it's not an intentional situation where it requires rebuking. That does happen. Have you ever been in a spot where maybe a, a trusted friend had to come alongside you and, and had to reveal to you some of the decisions you were making and being like, brother you, or sister, you, you know this isn't for you, right? Like, like you, you, you know you shouldn't be living this way. You know you shouldn't be saying those things. Like, like that, that is a kind and polite way of rebuking. You chose to do what you didn't or what you know you shouldn't have done and you did it anyway. Let me bring the word of God and rebuke you. If you've never had anybody rebuke you, then, I, then you either one of two things are happening. Either you're not being discipled or you've only been following Jesus for like an hour. Because I've been rebuked by my pastor, Pastor Terry, uh, only one time as he, he literally took me out to breakfast and he's like, Pastor Steve, let me offer you a furrowed, browed rebuke. And I was like, huh? Like, well, what, what is this? And, and he had to correct me. And, and you know, it, and oftentimes it's not like a, a, a big sin at the time. And I'm just going to kind of just share with you. At the time, I was dealing with a lot of insecurity as a leader. I was a very young pastor, uh, younger than I am now. I was 25 when I first took the helm of leadership at this church. And I was very insecure about making decisions. And I, and I knew God was telling me to do something, but I was a little leery of like, oh, do I do, I do it? Am I, am I, I just don't feel old enough to make these decisions or confident enough to do these decisions. And I was talking to my pastor, and here I thought he was just going to correct me which I'll explain in a second, but he actually rebuked me. He's saying, Pastor, you know, Pastor Steve, you know what God has told you to do. And you're choosing not to do this. I have to come and bring a furrow-browed rebuke. The difference between a rebuke and a correction is this. Correction is something when, when you don't know, maybe, maybe you do something out of ignorance and you're just like, oh, I didn't even know I shouldn't be doing that. When someone com- comes alongside you and, and brings correction, that's because you didn't know and now they're bringing that to light. So the rebuke and the correction, the distinction is this, either you're aware of it or you're not. Either you're ignorant to the fact or, or you're, you're, you're very knowledgeable of the fact of what you should be doing. So it's, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Everybody say the word training. Training, working out what I try to do but fail so often at. Training, working out. And, and, and the same way we would, like none of us in this room would ever, ever tolerate going to the gym consistently for months on end and not seeing any results. 
Right? How many of you would be frustrated by that? If, you would, if you're going to the gym and like after two months, you're just like, man, I can't lift any more than I did when I first started and I've actually gained weight. None of us would tolerate that. We would do one of two things. The person training you is probably, you know, slipping some, some Subway sandwiches in your protein shake or, or we would need to be rebuked and like, hey, you're doing it wrong. But for so often, friends, Sometimes in church, we tolerate going to church week in and week out and not seeing any improvement on our lives, in our passion for Jesus. And I would say that's because you have lost sight of recognizing that the purpose of Scripture is to also train us in righteousness. Amen? So the creed, the Apostles' Creed to be more specific, is the oldest and most widely accepted succinct biblical teaching in church history. The Bible is where we draw the creed from, but they call it the Apostles' Creed because the apostles themselves laid the framework for everything we read in the Apostles' Creed. It's the oldest. It's been in circulation for over a thousand years. And even, even though I, I think we can actually uh, point to A.D. like 500 when it was actually like written down and it was surveyed, and, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, communicated from pulpits and shared throughout churches. And in fact, this was a baptismal rite for many people in you know, the A.D. 500. But you can actually point back to like A.D. 200, 250 and see like the beginnings of this type of a creed. It's incredible. So it's the oldest and most widely accepted. Right now, there are Christians all around the world who will make the exact same proclamations that you and I are going to proclaim. It's trustworthy. It literally draws right out of Scripture. So why are we talking about the creed? Why, why, why this series? Why now? Well, if you have been here for a couple of months, you'll see that we, you know, in the summer we had a series on the Holy Spirit and we talked about the need for the, for the moving of the Holy Spirit and, and how we should all be seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, we want more of you, we want more of you. That led to a series where we talked about uh, not just seeking the Holy Spirit for our own enjoyment, but for, for others, for this community that you've called us to. So we had a series on community groups and now we're talking about teaching. Why? Because friends, we are living in a day and age. I'm not trying to sound an alarm. I'm not trying to be an alarmist for the sake of, you know, fanaticism. I'm trying to just open up our eyes to the reality of, of just the times we are living in. The reason why we're talking about the creed is because, friends, truth is under attack. Truth is under attack. And I'm not just talking about the things you see in, in, in culture and, you know, like, like if, if anybody has, has been watching what's happening, you're like, yeah, there, there seems to be a lot of things shifting and, and truth is now becoming way more subjective and may, way more relative than it ever has been. Where, where, and I mean by this where it's like we live in a society where it's accepted to say your truth is your truth and, and your truth is your truth and even if they're not the same, they're both equal truths. And it's just like, well, well how is how is is that possible? Truth is under attack. In fact, even in the church, here, here are some findings that we've uncovered. Uh, right after COVID, there was a, a 
like a large survey that was taken uh, from the Cultural Research Center based out of Arizona, Dr. George Barnum. Many of you may have heard of him. Uh, they, they conducted this study, and it was a very trustworthy study. I looked back, and I saw the, the sample and the sizes, and it's a very trusted su- uh, survey. It says this, that 69%, so truth is not just an attack in culture, but even in the church, 69% of adults identify as Christian. Sorry, 69% of adults identify as Christian. Let me pause because you're like, wait, pastor, didn't you say according to the, the state of the church survey in 2021 that same year that, that we are now living where uh, people are now saying that 49% only identify as Christian? What, what, how, how is there a distinction there? This is now people who, who are just saying, yeah, I, I I will ascribe to Christian faith, right? Like if, if they were not to take inventory of their lives and compare it to the Word of God, but just simply how many people would say they're Christian, 69% of people would say that. 69% of surveys, surveyed adults uh, would have said that. But only 35% claim to be born again, and 28% claim to be evangelical. Now, is this just mincing words? Like, are we here just, you know, just trying make, to make subcategories of Christians? Uh, to, to which I would say, no, the, the reason why this is significant is because we are living in a day and age where even in the church, we don't recognize that in order to be a Christian, you must be born again, according to that, the conversation that, that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 7. And, and we've kind of shifted the term in this culture uh, of, of what an evangelical means. Right now, if you were to ask any person who is a Christian or non-Christian what evangelical means, they'll automatically tell you, oh, doesn't that mean you vote a certain way? But really, the word evangelical comes right out of Scripture from the word evangelism, which means to be this, to be messengers of God's truth. So we're living in a time where we don't even know who we are or what we stand for or what we believe as believers. Here's another example of how we know that's the truth. 26% of Christians say when they die, they'll go to heaven. Uh, So if we were to just stop there, I believe 100% of people in in this country, if you ask them, hey, if you die, will you go to heaven? I I almost guarantee you the vast majority, probably in the 90 percentile, would say, yeah, when I die, I'm going to heaven. They still ascribe to a Christian, you know, afterlife, belief in an afterlife. But when when you ask Christians now, 26% of them say when they die, they'll go to heaven because they've confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, if you are a Christian in this room and you've been following Jesus and you, you, know, like you, you read the Word of God regularly, you know that the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And the only way to Christ is by confessing your sins, admitting you're a sinner and in need of a Savior. That, that's the only way. There, there, is, there is no other way to get to heaven. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is none that can come to the Father except through Him. Like, we need Jesus. So we proclaim that. We profess that. But yet, in the church, only 26 of Christians who profess to be Christians believe that. And if that's you, I'm not trying to shame you this morning. My, my, my goal, my objective for this entire series is to get us all on equal footing to recognize that we believe or we should have some firm beliefs, not things that change with subjective things happening in your life or things happening in your, in your circumstance or where you were born or, or the conditions of your, you know, the church that you attended when you were a kid. No, no, there is a truth that supersedes our culture, that supersedes our upbringing, and it's the word of God. It's the Word of God. 28% of Christians, when they die, say when they die, they'll go to heaven because they accepted Jesus. Here's another stat. 58% of Christians believe the Holy Spirit is not real. It's not a real, living, 
being, but is a mere symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Oh, wait, so if the Holy Spirit is the one who even shows us that we are in need of a Savior, and yet we don't even know who He is, how is this going to be possible? To which I'll say, friends, it's not. And, and, and I bring this up not because I'm trying to be the thought or the word police, trying to ensure that the words you spew are equal to the words I spew. No, no, no. I, I quote A.W. Tozer when he says this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I love my wife. Actually, I'm not going to use my wife as an example. I love my, I love my dad. Uh, my, I love my mom. But my relationship with my parents is completely contingent on what I know to be true about them. If I thought my parents didn't love me, even though their actions speak otherwise, and if I thought they didn't care, although their actions speak otherwise, that would affect my relationship with them. So what I think about my parents drastically affects my relationship with them. Furthermore, your relationship with God is completely reflective about the truths you hold about Him. So it's absolutely important for us to hold the right truths about God. In fact, if you've ever felt like your relationship with God is dry and that church is just like, ah, something I have to do, I'm going to say it's because your thoughts of God are too low. You don't realize how powerful He is, how transformative He can be, how much He desires to use you for His glory. God is better than you realize. So we are going to, we're doing this series to get on the right footing. And the creed is the perfect place to start. So here's what I'd like to do, and I'm going to do this every single week. And I promise you, if, uh, if you confess this, uh, you're not in sin. I'm not, I'm not leading you to a direction as your pastor. I'm not leading you somewhere astray. Uh, some of you, like maybe you, raised, you were raised in a tradition where you didn't like the Apostles' Creed or you didn't read this because it was just like too formulaic. Listen, uh, I, I, would not, I would not feed you something that would cause spiritual indigestion, okay? That, that, you can put that on a t-shirt and wear it, I promise you. So here's what I'd like for us to do. Uh, we're not going to do this from now on. This is just during this series. Uh, I'd like for us to stand and read this creed together. Now, if you're a guest here and you're like, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I don't profess these things, I don't, I don't adhere to these things, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to say it, but, but would you stand with us? So let's, let's stand together. We're going to read the creed and then we're going to unpack our, our week two this week, okay? So here we go. Let's read this together. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. Pause, pause. Let's go back there really quick. It's not what you think, okay? Don't, don't, don't be a little creeped out. Like, descended to hell? What do you, we'll talk about that when we get there. All right, let's keep going. Sorry. He ascended to heaven. And is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. 
From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, not what you think, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen or amen, depending on where you grew up. All right, you can have a seat. Yeah. Amen. Right, like the... That's probably my favorite thing about growing up Catholic is just like the Gregorian chants, like, it's like like watching Halo. It's great. Uh, And and old school gamers know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Week two, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe. Notice how it's not saying we, we know this to be true. It's literally drawing from Romans chapter 10 where it says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. Actually, the other way around. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice that always, always, always when Paul talks about salvation, he brings up a need to confess and a need to believe. Two separate things that work hand in hand. A belief is something you adhere to in your heart. A a confession is something you can only proclaim with your mouth and ergo your actions. So he's saying this. It's not enough to just to say, I confess this to be true. Right? Because it's like me saying, I confess to love my wife, yet I, I never say it. I never show it. It would be hypocritical. When it comes to our relationship with God, We start on the footing of saying, I know this and I believe this in my heart and my actions follow. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. There's two things I want to discuss this morning. The first one is this, is that God is our Father. God is our Father. And I know that many of us in this place fail to grasp the true meaning of what that is. All of us carry some sort, whether positive or negative, some sort of hindsight bias or some some type of, of, of history that you share. For you, maybe a relationship with your father wasn't the best. Maybe it was distant. Maybe it was abusive. Maybe it was non-existent. Maybe, maybe you didn't have a father growing up. So when you come to this idea of God being a father, the only understanding you have is the baggage you bring. To which I want to say this, God the Father aspires to be the greatest father in your life. He absolutely does. When we consider the term father, there's two kinds of fathers. There is a biological father, right? All of us have a biological father. Show of hands, who has a biological father? Every hand should be up unless you are an alien. Uh, Well, I don't even know how alien reproductive. Uh, Let's just keep going. Uh, Biological, meaning there was an action that led to you. You just didn't spontaneously come out of like some primordial ooze and just out of like a faucet. And you're like, I'm here. Like that didn't happen. Uh, you were the result of some sort of biological relationship. Um, yeah, we see this. God is our biological father. 
Not just spiritually, but physically. We see this in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. Guys, you got you to mature, guys, in this church. <laughs> then God said, let us make, look, look at this. We see God is already, and this is revolutionary, because here's the thing. Either some people don't believe that God exists, or if they adhere to him being a father, they, they may only reduce him to a biological father. And this is going to blow our minds here in a second. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Here we see here that God is doing two things. He is giving, he is giving purpose to his creation, his, his, the, the like the apple of his creation, the, the peak of his creation, which is us. It's not the angels, which is crazy to believe, to think that, that the angels weren't the peak of his creation. It was, it was humans. And he says here, let us make them in our image and our likeness. Who is he talking to? Some people believe that he's speaking to the heavenly host, the angels. But as, as Christians who now see the New Testament revealed and they, we read the Old Testament, we see Christ in the Old Testament. And we say that this right here, he's talking to the, the perfect triune Godhead, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is saying, the Father is speaking out, let us make man in our image. In the image of God the Father, in the image of God the Son, in the image of God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one. And he's making us in our image, in his image rather. We also see this in in James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. The context of this passage is is controlling your tongue and not, you know, uh, being a person who is literally the the word Paul, or I'm sorry, James uses here is is to don't cause forest fires with your mouth. Like he's saying like, like your tongue is powerful. And he says here, with the tongue, we, we praise our Lord. We have the capacity, what we just did a few moments ago, to praise God and to worship God. With our tongues, we have the, the capacity to praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we also have the capacity to curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. So Paul, or James is already teaching us that, that we have been created in the likeness of God. Another thing we see here is that the two kinds of fatherhoods is biological and relational. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Can I tell you this, friends? God's desire, God Almighty's desire is that you would see him more than just someone who's created you. His desire is to see you or have you see him as a spiritual, relational father. He says here in verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And here he's contrasting the Old Testament law with this New Testament grace. He's saying, okay, you've been saved, not so that you can just feel like, oh, great, now i got to follow more rules and more laws. Although there are rules and there are laws, there's relationship attached to it. There's relationship attached to it. Rather, the spirit you received brought, brought about your adoption to sonship. Listen, you and I are the biological children of God. When we look across the span of all creation, it doesn't matter what a person believes or what they say or what they claim, they are made in the likeness and in the image of God. They are created, they, have, they are image bearers, so when we look at people, we attribute value simply because they were made in the same image that you and I were made in. That's why as Christians, uh, we can't look at people and, and have these prejudices about them. We see them as, whether they know Jesus or not, they have value. 
And this is huge because right now we live in a culture that says your value is predicated on the things you believe and the value you bring into my life. This is why it's so easy for the world to just cancel people. But we as Christians, we look beyond their circumstance and we see at the, at the foundation of who you are, you are created in the image of God. You are a biological son or daughter of God. Next step, the next step is, is their relationship there. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. It says the spirit you received, when did you receive the spirit? At salvation. The moment you say, Jesus, I need you. He deposits in your life a measure of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the spirit. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Your sin, although you're a biological son of God or a daughter of God, your sin was your way of saying, God, I want nothing to do with you. I want to go my direction. I want to do things my way. I want to, I want to make my own kingdom. I want to glorify my own throne. God, I, I want to do things apart from you. But the moment you came to Jesus and you confessed your need of a Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Why is that powerful? Not only is it powerful, but it was revolutionary because up until this point, up until this very point, everybody's relationship with God, even if they understood Him to be Father, was very paternalistic in the sense of like, yeah, you're my father. I'm not going to make direct eye contact. There's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of be on, 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 sometimes we'll be on, on good footing. I don't want to upset you. Even the Greeks understood their, their idea of Zeus was, hey, better not get out of line or I'm going to throw a lightning bolt at you. And I believe right now in our society, in our culture, there is the exact same relationship with the idea of God the Father. And maybe, and maybe that's your experience with God where you believe him to be a biological father you're like yeah I, I, I'm convinced that I was created in his image but I don't have that spiritual relationship with him it's the idea that he's, he's for me and not against me that idea that if the moment he loves me when I'm performing well but the moment I mess up Can I just today, as we use the creed, which if you really just think about it, Christians who came before us, who in fact, if if we're going to be really honest this morning, we all, if you consider yourself a Christian, we stand in a long genealogy of followers who came before us. I mean, just, it's, it's rich. It's beautiful. And maybe you're saying, Pastor, I'm like the first one in my, in my family to ever, what are you talking about? I'm the first one in my family to give my life to Jesus. And I, I felt that way before. I remember I, was the, I drove myself to church. F- family members tried to discourage me. They thought I was joining a cult. Like I literally, these are the things that I, and I remember thinking, Lord, I'm alone. It's just, it's just me. I have nobody. And then one day the Lord had me in the middle of a service to open up my eyes and to look around me and he said this is your family that doesn't mean you disown your biological family I still love my parents and they know Jesus now 
It doesn't mean I, I, I ever disavowed them or denied them or left them. And there's never a point of that because I still needed to honor and respect my mom and dad and to love my family. And I had spiritual obligations to them even if they were not believers. But the Lord reminded me, this is your family. These are the people who come to the same well to drink of me, who I saved, who I'm calling you to live in community with. And right now, I just want to remind you, if you feel alone, this is your family. And it's not just biological, it's spiritual and relational. And it's because we have a God the Father, a Father Almighty, a creator of heaven and earth, who spoke all things into existence and yet acted intimately with us and saved us through the faithfulness of Jesus. So today, the whole point of our gathering this morning is for all of us to take inventory of our lives and ask, when it comes to our relationship with God, do we lean heavily on one side or another? What what do I mean by that? I believe in this place, some of us understand that God is holy and to revered but your relationship with him has its highs and its lows and it's always dependent on your ability to behave and you've allowed your relationship with God to be very legalistic where it's all about performance, performance, performance holiness, holiness, holiness and I'm not saying we shouldn't aspire to live holy lives But if your aspirations for holiness is all about you and not about pleasing the Lord and out of an act of just, Lord, I love you, I want to live for you, then you're doing it wrong. And you only know God as a spiritual slave driver and not a loving father. Some of us are in that camp. And there's another camp where you know God loves you. You're like, oh, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. Perhaps that, that truth has allowed you to live in such a way where holiness doesn't matter because your understanding of God is that he's just a jolly Santa figure, that he's just like, oh, ho, ho, and just hug me, and oh, you sin, uh, you rascal, and just like, you know, does this to your head, like, ah, just try better next time, right? Like, and, and you fail to realize that he's God Almighty, and that he's holy. And that sin is serious. And you've bought into the lie of the enemy that God is okay with sin. No, friends, he's not okay with sin. It cost him the, his own son. So today I believe there's, there's tendencies that all of us have to lean heavily into one or the other and not find this perfect balance that yes, he wants me to live a holy life and yes, he loves me question to you is is as we take inventory of our lives where where are you do you realize that God is holy and that he's righteous and that literally the word is he abhors sin he hates sin because of what it does to us in our relationship with him maybe today you're like, man, it's all about performance. And my relationship is high and low and high and low and I'm sick of it. 
I want to embrace the love of my Father. So today, before we dismiss, can we just stand together? And let me just tell you as your pastor, as your friend, I've, I deal with this also. I would say if I were to be vulnerable with you all and tell you where I've had a tendency to lean, I would say for me, maybe it's because, of, because I'm duty-driven and I'm a pastor, and for me, oftentimes where I lean is, is heavily into the, I gotta perform, I gotta perform, I gotta perform. And sometimes, although I'm one who talks about the love of God on a weekly basis, can sometimes lose sight of that personal love of God for me. And I know the word, but I need this reminder. And this is why we are talking about the creed, because we need these reminders where we say, I believe in God the Father. God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It, it presents two sides of the same coin of God, that he's a loving father and that he's an almighty creator who spoke all things into existence. So today, let's... I just ask the Lord to reveal what it is we need today. Every eye closed, if every head bowed, if you would say, Pastor, I'm, I just want to be honest this morning and my relationship with God is not where it needs to be. I want to speak to two kinds of people this morning. The first one is a group of us, and I've been there, we've all been in this, in this category. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I, I may know about Jesus, I may, I may have been raised in the church, but, but I don't know him. Certainly not like I, I know I should. I need to give him my life. Maybe I said it when I was a child or a teenager, but I've, I've lost sight of that. Or maybe I said it a couple of months ago, and I've, I'm losing sight of that. But I need to give my life to Jesus and, and surrender my life to him again or for the first time. And if that's what you would proclaim and confess this morning, every eye closed, every head bowed, would you say, would you just lift up your hands so I know who to pray for? Saying, Jesus, I, I, I just need more of him and less of myself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hands all over this place. We're committing ourselves to you, Lord. We're committing ourselves to you. The second category, and there's an A and a B. We just talked about this. If you would say, Pastor, I... I identify with the love of God, but sometimes that means I, I don't realize that he's a holy God and he concerns himself with how I live and how I operate my life and I need his help. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand this morning? Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All around this place. And lastly, if you would say, Pastor Steve, I sometimes fall into the camp where it's all about my performance and I just want to experience the love of God in a fresh way. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? Yes. Yes. Father, I pray over every single person under the sound of my voice. We're coming to you, Lord, this morning. This morning, the common denominator is that we are in need of our God our Father. And God, I know that so many times we feel like 
we have the wrong understanding of who you are. Or maybe we only know you as biological creator as opposed to a father. Or sometimes we lean too heavily into the the father picture and we create a God in our own image and fail to realize that he is a God of truth, a God who deserves to be revered and worshiped, a God who deserves to be approached with the holy fear. And God, I pray today that you would work in us through your Holy Spirit an ability to live balanced lives for your glory and for the good of all around us. In Jesus' name we pray this. And everyone said, amen. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship Jesus this morning.